If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get those out, open them up. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 5. Hopefully you also found uh, the notes on your table, <clears throat> which is pretty much uh, this chapter. And I've got it there for you in the uh, Scriptures version once again. Um, some of the names, if you're reading that, you'll see that it, it's a little odd or whatever. It's because it's literally just transliterated uh, from the Hebrew on the names. Uh, but the, the wording also is a little different. But uh, anyhow, um, so <clears throat> we're going to try to march through this whole chapter. It is a large chapter. It's 42 verses. Don't get too scared. But there's uh, two stories that go on uh, in this chapter. But it's interesting when you look at this in context, how they are actually related to one another. Uh, the first one is the one that you hear the most about, and then there's the phrase in here, once again, where they say, you know, uh, we have to obey God rather than man. Uh, and they're going to say that again in this chapter. They said it <clears throat> in chapter 4. But the first one here is the story about Ananias and Sapphira, or Hananiah, or Ananiah, and uh, Sapphira, his wife. And uh, it's a it's a pretty... Uh, shocking story, if you remember it. <clears throat> so we're just going to read these first six verses uh, and then try to set the pace here for this chapter. <clears throat> it says, but, and, and you have to remember now that uh, chapter four ended, uh, for those of you that were able to come out to uh, Sukkot with us, we uh, went over this chapter <clears throat> out at Sukkot. Um, but the chapter ends with, uh, they're all in one accord and everything, and people started selling things uh, and bringing it to the apostles uh, to be able to take care of everybody. Um, <clears throat> when people were coming to faith in Yeshua at the very beginning, it's not unlike what was happening now. I mean, we already saw where uh, people were getting kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, they were, you know, basically, and that was huge. Um, it, it was just huge. We don't have time to chase that. <clears throat> but um, their families would reject them and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so people lost their jobs, all kinds of things. And so people were hungry and they'd lost incomes and things like that. And so they, they were constantly uh, feeding people, trying to take care of people with the resources that they had. Okay. So they were selling properties and doing things and selling their stuff and bringing their extras you know, and giving it to the apostles. That's how the chapter ends. So then it picks up in chapter five and it says, but a certain man uh, by the name of Hananiah with his wife Sapphira, they sold a possession or a piece of property. And he kept back from the price, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the feet of the emissaries or the apostles. But Kepha, or Peter, said, Hananiah, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the set-apart spirit, the Holy Spirit, and keep back from the price of the land for yourself? Now, here's the part you have to pay attention to in reading your Bible slowly and paying attention to everything that's going on. <clears throat> He said, while it remained, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your authority? Meaning, 
you weren't told to do this. This was your decision to do this. And you, it was yours, right? And then you sold it. And the money you got from the sale, that was yours. And it was all under your authority, right? So he's, Peter's laying the groundwork here as he's led by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, um, was it not in your authority? Then he says, why have you conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to Elohim, but to God. When Hananiah hears this, hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard it. Can you imagine? I mean, we just took up an offering here. It'd be pretty, you know, serious if, you know, we had this same event happen among us. I think all of us would be gripped, right? Uh, <clears throat> says, hearing these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon those, all those who heard of this. But the young men that were there, they arose, they wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. We'll get into this other part here in just a second so that you can see the full story of what was going on. Basically, they sold the property, they brought the money to the apostles, and they said, this is what we sold, we're giving you all the money. to compete with the others that sold their property and brought all the money. In other words, they were giving it for show. Uh, and they said, you know, uh, this, this is what we've done. And so <clears throat> uh, Ananias, he, he falls down dead when Peter confronts him over it. Why did you conceive of this in your heart to lie? You're not lying to us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And man, he just falls over dead. And the young men get up and they carry him out and everybody is, gets afraid. Here's what I want you to understand. In this story right here, it gets passed over a little bit, but there are a number of people that think that the God of the Old Testament, that's the God that's uh, vindictive and cruel and judgmental and harsh and it's law and it's just a beating and he's killing people and he's sending Israel in there to kill. That's the God of judgment. But the God of the New Testament is the God of law and grace and love and forgiveness and all that. Folks, it's the same God in both Testaments. It's the same God in both Testaments. And these judgments that come in both Testaments are for the same reasons. Muddying up the name of God and fighting God and basically claiming that he's the same as these other fallen angels. And then, and, and anyhow, so that idea is simply false that the God of the New Testament is the God of grace and mercy, and the God of the Old Testament is the God of law and curses and death and harshness. Read the book of Revelation if you don't think judgment's not coming, and it's the same God, right? And who's leading all of that? It's Yeshua. Um, so <clears throat> I want you to understand something as we continue to look at this with Ananias and Sapphira for a second. We're not going to spend most of our time here. But the issue was the church was really, really growing and growing rapidly 
by thousands and thousands of people, like we looked at, I guess now, two weeks ago, uh, by the time 70 AD hits uh, and the temple's destroyed and all that, the estimate is that there could have been as many as 200,000 followers of Yeshua in Israel. It was huge. And the separation between these followers of Yeshua and the, if you will, Orthodox Jews didn't happen until the Bar Kokhba revo uh, revolt uh, in about 130 or 135, what we call AD. Um, and we went over that a few weeks ago where the, those uh, Jewish people started to declare that Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. And that's why the believers in Yeshua said, well, then we're not fighting with you. And then the schism happened at that point. They said, well, you're traitors. And they began to hate them vehemently. Um, so, <clears throat> um, they, they were growing rapidly by thousands and thousands of people. That in and of itself draws a crowd. Everybody's going, right? You, you and I see it all the time, right? You, all of a sudden, there's just a line of people, and you just kind of go get in line. Like, I don't know, everybody, you know, you go out there in the, some downtown area and you just go out there and you stare up and just wait and see how many people walk over and start staring up. I mean, but when you get thousands of people doing that and thousands of people starting to talk and clamor about what in the world is going on, uh, it starts to become a, an entity in and of itself. In other words, the growth starts just spurring more and more growth. I'm not saying that it wasn't real. I'm just saying that when that kind of excitement happens, everybody starts wanting to check it out. And because they're wanting to check it out, they're even more open to believing what they're seeing. Why? Because the crowds are, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Um, I've never really been good at that. If everybody was doing it, I was actually the one that wanted to do something different. Y'all find that strange? <laughs> Uh, just, you, it would be kind of strange. When I was in high school, I don't know why, anyway, when I was in high school, I was, I was just the opposite. When I was in high school, um, this buddy, my, he was my best friend at the time, and uh, we wanted to get suits. Now, this would have been in about 1972. I think it was about 1972, 73, 72. So we wanted to get suits. You know, everybody's got the long hair. It's in the 70s. So where do we go? Well, we want to be different. We decided together to say, well, I'm not getting a suit like everybody else. I want a, I want a different suit. So we go to a real up-class suit uh, company in Dallas, and we both walked in, and I said, I want a three-piece suit. Vest, the whole nine yards, had pocket watch. I'm going to wear my pocket watch. I still have that watch. Wearing my pocket watch and my vest, and everything's going to be really cool. We were so different, no one made him for people our size. They didn't even make them. So we had to go get our parents. I got my mom, and he got his mom, and they made us these vests that would go with it. And so we're walking around with this long hair, you know, big, big suit and vest, pocket watch, and everything, you know, trying to. We were like, if that's what everybody else is doing, I, you know, I just want to do something different. I'm still that way. There's a part of me that says, you know what? If everybody's going that way, there's a good chance that's all wrong. Uh, 
uh, because a lot of people can start going that direction simply because everybody else is doing it without thinking about the ramifications and is this really real or true? And this is what we're going to see here. And there's a little phrase in here that it just kind of jumps out. Anyhow, so we see here that Ananias and Sapphira, they concoct this idea we're going to be like everybody else, and we're going to compete with the other big wigs that are involved in this new thing following Yeshua, and we're going to sell our extra property. We're going to keep some of it for ourselves, but we're going to tell everybody, oh, yeah, that we, we're, we're, giving all, we're giving everything. So that was all for show. God would have none of it. He would have none of it. Part of the reason, I believe, is because this is at the very beginning of the church or these followers. I don't want to really say it that way. This is the very beginning of this, this revelation that Yeshua really is the Messiah. And these people are coming into this truth and understanding this. And the last thing I believe that God really wants is for followers of Yeshua to just simply be in another man-made religion. Filled with all of its junk and um, fake stuff. And so he wanted to keep it pure and simple and an admission that Yeshua really is the Messiah and that the kingdom of God had literally been unleashed upon the earth. <clears throat> and so Ananias falls dead because of it. So then let's look at verse 7. So verse 7 and following down to verse 13, it says, and it came to be about three hours later. So uh, Sapphira, she was not there. She wasn't standing there when this happens. That his wife came in not knowing what had taken place. And Peter responds to her. He says, so now he's, gonna, he's giving her an out. Okay? So he says to her, say to me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for that amount. Then Kepha, Peter, says to her, why have you agreed to try the spirit of Yahovah? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon all the assembly upon all the assembly and upon all who heard of it. So in other words, this went out not only in the assembly of those that were following Yeshua, but obviously, I mean, word spread, right? And it spread quick, real quick. <clears throat> uh, basically through the town. And then it says in verse 12, and through the hands of the emissaries, the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one mind in Shlomo or Solomon's porch. But of the rest, no one had the courage to join them. However, the people made much of them or they had a lot of respect for them, or they were gaining much favor among the people. So uh, looking at this whole thing here, number one, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they did this together. This was a joint decision. 
Peter gives her an out, even though <coughs> Ananias said, yeah, this is what we sold the property for. But each person's own actions are what we're responsible for. Sapphira goes, yeah, that's what we sold it for. Peter challenges her too. And he's telling her, you're not lying to me. You're testing the very spirit of God. And the guys that buried your husband are going to bury you. Bang, she falls over dead. Great fear breaks out. But then it says this, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were happening. Do you remember what they prayed for in chapter 4, chapter 3, when they were arrested? Now, Heavenly Father, pay attention to their threats. Give us more boldness to preach the word accompanied with, basically, signs, wonders, miracles, and healings connected to the preaching of the gospel. Don't miss out on that. So this is an answer to their prayer when they start doing these signs, wonders, and miracles, and everybody's, they're bringing the sick, they're getting healed and everything, and there's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, like the word is spreading. At the same time, there's this fear spreading because somebody did something, and man, they dropped over dead, right? So we see that these signs and wonders were for the purpose of validating the gospel message. Here's what you need to understand. Signs, wonders, miracles, and healings were never, ever meant simply for personal benefit. They're just not. One thing I've pointed out over the years, and you've heard me say it, uh, poor old Lazarus, that dude died twice. If God heals us of whatever diseases or problems we have, like I've got this problem with my voice and my throat. I've had it for nearly two years now, and I just can't get it under control. Drives me nuts. I can't sing very good anymore. It just makes me nuts. But if God heals that, hallelujah. But this body is still decaying. It's still not keeping up. Uh, Those are all temporary Everybody Jesus healed died. All of them that are getting healed now by these apostles, going to die. Going to get sick again, going to have problems again, going to die. Why was this happening? It was an answer to their prayer that they would be able to preach with boldness the gospel message, and that basically the gospel message would be validated with signs, miracles, and healings and all of that stuff, just like when they healed the lame man at the gate called Beautiful when Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have in the name of Yeshua, rise and walk. And that's exactly what he did, and then then they got into all this kind of trouble. So if the signs, wonders, and healings were just for personal benefit, then God would answer every one of our prayers about God, please heal my voice or heal my leg or heal heal your shoulder or whatever it might be, right? Because he'd be interested in our personal benefit. That's not what he's after. And it's not that he wants us sick and dying and all that stuff. We still live in a decaying, decadent, sinful world. We haven't received our glorified bodies yet. It's not all over. The, the, the purpose and our folk, the focus point of our prayer should be, Father, glorify yourself and help me preach your word, your truth rightly so that all eyes would be focused on you and not on me. 
kind of opposite of what you typically see nowadays. It's never supposed to be all about us. It's always all about him. Always. <clears throat> so um, this is exactly why we'll see at the end, like Susan was sharing, the full answer of their prayer was, we don't care what they say or do to us. We want to glorify you. And at the end of this chapter, they get beat and they're, going, they're literally going out from their presence, praising God. They beat the tar out of them, tell them don't preach in the name of Yeshua anymore. And they're going, hallelujah, that is so cool. You beat me up. I'm found worthy to suffer for the name of Yeshua. It's amazing, isn't it? But here's what I want you to see because this is the point that we tend to miss as to why this happened with Ananias and Sapphira and what was really going on. God is trying to tell us here through Luke, by the Holy Spirit, showing us these truths. In verse 13, of course, it says, there were all these signs and wonders happening. They were in Solomon's porch. They're there right by the temple. People are bringing people constantly. They're getting healed. All kinds of stuff is going on, and it's not going to slow down. But in verse 13, it says, but of the rest, no one had the courage to join them. You might go, well, what does that mean? Well, that word rest, you might want to jot this down there in your notes. <clears throat> The words, the rest, are fairly often used of the lost, lost people. So I've got some verses. I'm not going to go to all of them. You can jot these down and go look at them for yourself. Luke chapter 8, verse 10, where it talks about those that are following Christ, but the rest. Uh, Romans eleven seven. Let me pull that one up and I'll read that one real quick. It says, what then has Israel not obtained what it seeks, but the chosen did and obtained it, and the rest were hardened? It, so many times this idea is talking about God's people or Israel and then the rest. In other words, those that are not part of this group. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, same type of thing. Uh, Ephesians 2, 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, and also 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So this idea here, it says, but of the rest, no one had the courage to join them. Who would that be? People that were not true followers of Yeshua. And it's very possible that Ananias and Sapphira were not real true followers of Yeshua. They were just getting on the bandwagon of this new thing that it was growing, and hey, this is a new way to, I don't know, be a part of the crowd, or what's even scarier, to become influential for the purpose of self-glorification, and maybe even eventually make money. You know that there are people that travel from church to church to church for the sole reason of making money? Because what they're looking for is to a way to enlarge their contact list simply to get jobs, make sales, sell you insurance or pies or get you to get, let them work on their, their, your house or whatever. And it, they do it all the time. Uh, there are people that come into the church 
for the purpose of finding a place of significance because they can't find it anywhere else, so they want to find significance here. Now, you're significant in God's eyes, but if the goal is self-glorification and even self-preservation, self-anything, uh-oh. In other words, you don't, you're not getting it. You don't, you, don't, you're not, you don't understand. There was a group of people, evidently, we, let's read into this a little bit, okay? Because it says, but of the rest, no one had the courage to join them. You got to understand the word here, rest, is not talking about those that are hostile to them, right? Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests and all these others and others that are hostile like Saul who becomes the apostle Paul and all those people that are anti-followers of Yeshua. It's talking about those that are at least interested in, kind of want to join this but, you know, well, this is just the thing to do. It says they, at that point, they didn't have, they're like, no, I'm, no. You mean I could die? No, I'm not going over there. Right? Now, look at the, look at the difference. So Ananias and Sapphira did something. They gave money to the church and died for it. Well, they did lie, but whoa. I'm not going in there, right? Then you got the apostles saying, we were found worthy to suffer for Jesus, hallelujah. Beat me up again, hallelujah. They're excited to suffer. You got the others that are saying, you're going to suffer? Oh, not me. I'm not going to do that. Why would God allow all that to happen? Because he knows everything beforehand. In, if you will, the setting of the, the assembly it was to drive fear in those that want to come in here for their own self-glorification to say, you really don't want to do this because one way or another, I'm going to get rid of you because I want everybody to understand what the truth is. And the truth is that Yeshua really is the Messiah. This is no game. But boy, after 2,000 years, we've really turned it into a game, haven't we? There's a lot that have even turned it into a business and the list goes on and on and on, and just making a profit off of the gospel. Um, I don't know people's hearts, so I don't judge whether or not they're saved or not. I just go, wow, it just seems like walking on some really thin ice. <clears throat> so then <clears throat> you pick up on verse 14. So, you know, no, the, the rest, so these other people, they didn't have the courage to follow them, to, to join them, but they were gaining a lot of uh, favor, if you will, among the men around. And now we're going to see this in verse 14. It says, but more believers. So verse 13 says, but the rest didn't have the courage to join them. Verse 14 says, and more believers were added to the Lord or the master, large numbers, both men and women. So now you're seeing that there's these two groups of people, and there's actually three. You got those that are hostile they have no intention of being a part of this new sect of people following Yeshua and claiming that Yeshua is the Messiah. You got those that are actually following and surrendering their lives 
over to Yeshua as the, the Messiah, and they're willing to die for him. And then you got those in the middle that I think probably just see religion as a way to get ahead, and it really didn't matter what it was. It, it, it just it, it was just it was it's a religion. We'll, just, we'll try this and see if it works. We know people like that. Maybe some of us here have lived like that in the past, where you, you try this religion, you try that religion, you try this faith, you try that, and see if it works. If it brings you to Jesus, hallelujah. Right? But if you settle down into Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, or whatever, and that kind of works for you, I'm, my guess is you're in trouble. Serious trouble. Um, there's a difference in finding a religion that works and finding a God that you love. Massive, eternal difference. And the apostles were in that group. And then this other group, that's where they come. That's where they fall in. They're like, it says, and there were more believers added to the Lord, large numbers, both men and women. And then look what it says. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. They're like, they're, they are like, we believe this, whatever. And they're going and getting their friends they're getting their neighbors. They're getting everybody they know that's sick. They're like they're just lining them up in the streets. You catching this? They're they're now no longer just bringing them to. They're like Peter's coming this way. These believers are coming. They go get their sick friends and they're laying them down on pallets. And they're laying them down in the streets, hoping that these apostles are going to come by. Now then. This is where we're going to get to here in just a second where these, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and high priests, they realize this is totally out of control. This has been spreading like wildfire and wow. The, the whole town is going this direction. I mean, it's like now the line is being drawn in the sand, right? between those that are going to try to play religion, those that are truly sold out, and then those that are hostile. And those that are truly sold out, they're doing whatever because they're like, no, this is real. And this is so real, I'm going to go get my sick friends. I'm even going to put them in the street. I'm going to lay them down here and I'm going to be with them. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to try to stop. I got to get Peter over here, right? Then look at what it's, because it continues on, verse 16. A large number also gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick ones and those who were troubled by unclean spirits. They're even filled with demons. And look at this. And they were all healed. All of them. There was massive, massive healings happening throughout Jerusalem from people that were hearing about this from the surrounding towns and they're traveling into Jerusalem to find the apostles and they've even, they're demon-filled, they're crippled, they're lame, dumb, they can't talk, they can't hear, they've got leprosy. I mean, you name it, everything that was going on and they're bringing them there and the scriptures tell us that all of them that they were bringing got healed. Hallelujah. That had to have been incredible, right? 
and they were not going to a special service learning how to pray correctly and, you know, all that other just goofball stuff. They were just bringing them and the apostles were laying hands on them and this, that, and the other and healing them and healing them in the name of Yeshua. Why? Validation of the gospel. God is going to unleash his power so that people will understand that he sent the Messiah. He was crucified and crucified even according to his own will, God's will. Um, and he's going to prove that he really is who he said he was and who he is. So this is all that's happening, and they're all getting healed. Can you imagine? They're just they're lining up on the streets. They're putting sick people out on pallets, lining them up. Peter, James, and John, the other apostles coming through, and they're just getting healed left and right. But the high priest, that's, what, that's the way the next verse starts off. But the religious leaders, they're not going, how, look at this, man, this is really cool. Look at all these people that are getting healed. Now it's not one man. Now it's not just the lame man at the gate called beautiful. They had him dancing in the, in the temple and in the, in the area there. You know, he's celebrating how God healed him. And they try to tell Peter and John, don't preach in his name. They go back, celebrate. They said, don't preach. We're going to preach all the more. God give us boldness. And then God gives them boldness. And they, you know, all this stuff is getting unleashed. Now they're lining people in the streets. They're bringing them from the outside cities. You, so what we need to understand, we're talking thousands. We're not talking about 5, 10, 15, 20 people. It's from all the surrounding cities and all through Jerusalem. <laughs> but the high priest, oh, we're not having none of this. <laughs> it's amazing what people filled with the spirit of religion will do. These are supposed to be God's people, and they actually think that what they're doing is right, but they're so filled with themselves. But the high priest rose up, and all those with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they're sad, you see, why? They're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. That's how you remember which group is the Sadducees. The Pharisees do, the Sadducees don't. And they were all filled with jealousy. What was the sin that brought down Lucifer? Jealousy, pride. <clears throat> and they seized the apostles. So they're out there, they're doing all this stuff, they send the guards, they send the people, and they arrest them. For what? Healing people, following Yeshua and teaching everybody that Yeshua really is the Messiah. So they seize them and they put them in the public jail. So they don't have them hid, they're like, so they're making a public deal out of this. Verse 19, but a messenger or an angel of God, an a messenger of Yahovah, he opened the prison doors at night and brought them out and said, watch this. So <clears throat> this is once again where you're going to see that these healings and miracles and all this stuff is for the validation of the gospel. So this, they were arrested because they were healing all these people and teaching people that Yeshua was the Messiah. So they get put in jail. The angel of God shows up. 
and he releases them out of the jail supernaturally because even the jailers don't know they're gone. We'll get to that in a second. They don't realize they're not in jail. They get one of those uh uh-oh moments when they go looking for them and they're not there and they have to come back and go, "Uh, you know, the jail's locked up, the guards are still there, nobody's home. What do you mean nobody's home? I don't know. Nobody's home. We went in there, nobody's home. Uh Um, (laughs) Uh-oh. So they're arrested for all of this and the messenger of God, he opens the doors, he brings them out and he says to them, go and stand in the set-apart place, the holy place, which would be what? The temple, right? So he says, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people, speak to the people all the words of this life. So he also, he doesn't tell them, go out there and heal some more people. Let's just tick them off real good. He doesn't say that, does he? Because the main purpose was to what? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel of what? This life in Yeshua as the redeemer of the world the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he says, you're to go and you're to preach and to speak to all the people or speak to the people there about all the words of this life. So it says, verse 21, now when they heard, when they heard this, that's the apostles, they went into the set-apart place. They went into the holy place. They went into the temple area. They went there early in the morning and they did what? They started teaching. They started doing exactly what the the angel of the Lord told them to do. They go, they just got arrested. This is their second time. They prayed for boldness and it happened. They prayed that God would send them signs and wonders and miracles for the purpose of validating the gospel to give them boldness. Okay. I get really nauseous when I see the number of people that keep coming out with the books and programs and everything, and I'm going to teach you how to pray and do all these things so that you can see visions and you can have miracles and you can do this and you raise the dead. I'm like, wow, okay, well, okay. If that's the route you really want to go, but... You need to understand something. The God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is the same God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and he doesn't look at this stuff lightly. So when you start peddling things from the Bible to build yourself up and to make your money and to fleece God's people, I think there's going to be a judgment coming. They go out there, they go right back out there, and they start teaching. Here it is again in verse 21. But the high priest (laughs) and those with him, they came and they called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel. So they got all the dignitaries, all the religious leaders, everybody that's in charge. They bring them all together and they say, you know, go get them out of prison. Go bring them here. (laughs) Hmm. Verse 22. But having come, the officers didn't find them in the prison. They went. They weren't there. They went back and they reported it, saying, we found the prison shut. It's in all safety. The watchers are standing outside before the doors. But having opened them, we found no one inside. 
the jail is shut. It's intact. There's nothing wrong with the, with the jail, with the building. The guards are outside the door. They're not sleeping. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. I guess it was a magic trick. I don't know. We went inside and there's no one home. That's kind of what they're telling them. They're covering their bases. Look, the doors were shut. Everything was locked. Everything was in order. Everybody's there. They weren't in there. (laughs) Can you imagine? They're a little nervous. And the high priest and the captain of the, in other words, the the head guard uh, that was in charge of the temple area, and the chief priests, they hear these words and they were puzzled. They're sort of like, they're going, what do, you mean? what do you mean they're not there? How can they not be there? <laughs> how dense can we, can you understand how sin can make you dumb? They were lining up people in the streets and they're getting healed. They arrested these guys just not long before because they healed the lame man at the gate called Beautiful and they were afraid to beat him because they said the guy's standing there and we know he's been lame for over 40 years. Not much we can do. They're seeing miracles left and right. You remember we also talked about the fact that when Jesus died, resurrected, all that happened. Did you know that there were graves that popped open in Jerusalem and aunts, uncles, and cousins, and husbands, and wives went back into town testifying that Jesus really is the Messiah? There were miracles happening left and right through this town. The guards go, the the. These guards go to get Peter and John. They come back and they go, they're not there. The high priest is going, I don't understand. I'm just telling you, when your mind is so set against God, the facts can be staring you in the face and you can't get it. It it makes no sense at all. Sounds kind of like America today. In politics, you sit there and go, "Um, okay, Um, uh, okay. I don't even need to go into the details, do I? It's, It's in the news every day where you see stuff and go, so this is wrong, but that is right, but that is the most dumb thing I've ever heard and that this is wrong And I can't spank my children because that's illegal, but I can do this to them? Are you kidding me? And then then everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's great. You're like, we've lost our minds. Well, those that are bent on self-preservation and following what they want to do apart from the Word of God, I'm just telling you, I really believe the spirit of uh, deception has already been poured out. And those that are not in love with their God, I'm not talking about in love with their religion. That's another topic altogether. Because, you know, we've got a lot of Christians in America that are in love with their religion. And we've got a lot of Christians that mean well doing dumb stuff, really dumb stuff. I'll go ahead and go on record and say this one. And some of you might not agree with me. I don't care. There are people that are in business to make money but won't do a flower arrangement for a gay couple because it's their Christian right. And I go, well, sorry, but you're an idiot. You do business 
with evil, mean, and nasty people every single day. Every single day. I got news for you. Your money in the stock market is involved in some bad stuff. Go chase it. You'll find that your money is invested in some bad things with, with what some of these companies do with their money that's helping you make money. I could go on and on and on. These people are not involved in a religious activity. This latest one, I'll go ahead and say, there was a lady that was doing flowers, and Sonia was talking about it, doing flowers for this couple or whatever, this guy, for years. All of a sudden decides they want to get married, and she's like, I'm not doing your flowers. And I'm like, well, it's because you're an idiot. I know you mean well, but you just kind of got on the bandwagon, and you're an idiot. We're, and we're picking, and what I'm trying to say is we need people that are, they're not so much in love with their religion, but they're in love with their God. And that they want to glorify their God. Period. And we need to stop picking and choosing. I mean, who we'll do business with because we don't agree with their sexual orientation? I'm not saying that we should agree with it. But if you operate a business and you say, I'm going to sell you flowers, but not you. I don't think that's constitutionally correct. And I think you're acting like an idiot. Because in your private life, without realizing it or not, you're doing business with bad people. Your insurance money, chase it down and find out where they're investing it. Well, I could go on and on and on. The mortgage on your house, where do you think that money's invested? Where do you think all that money's going? Does that, does that make sense? And what I'm trying to say is we got a lot of Christians that actually think they're doing the right thing. And I'm sitting there going, well, we need to preach the truth lovingly, compassionately, without bending it at all. Homosexuality is not okay. It's wrong according to the Scriptures. So is lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, cheating on your taxes. The list goes on and on and on, right? But that's the hot topic today. Now, are there certain things about that that we should fight against? Sure. As a group and as a society, there's certain things I think we shouldn't allow or whatever. But if, you're, if you've got a cake business or a, or a, a flower business or or whatever, and you're going to say, well, I'm not going to do this for you because I don't agree with your sexual orientation. I'm just saying uh, you're acting like an idiot, and you've, you've drank the Kool-Aid. Now, that might not fly with some of you here because it might be a real hot topic for you. I'll be glad to stay afterwards and we can talk about it. I'm not saying that we should say that homosexuality is okay. According to the Bible, it's not. What I'm saying is we should act like followers of Yeshua and tell people the truth to get them out of their stuff. Like, I think like making the, they should make the flowers and then go share the gospel with them. I think people on the other side might find it odd that Christians would actually love them and not condemn them, but also tell them the truth I don't care how many people do it, the Bible still says it's wrong. Period. It's just, you need to get set free from this bondage you're in and get out of all the lies that everybody's telling you. Does that make sense? 
I believe that God, is, God wants his people to be sold out to him and love him more than they love their religion. That's what I was trying to point out. So they go, they were threatened, and they go right back teaching. <laughs> and the high priest and them, they just, they, can't fig, they just can't figure it out, which is amazing. They're pl- puzzled. They wonder what's going on. Then it says, but one came and reported them saying, look, the men you put in prison, they're standing in the holy place, and they're teaching the people. They're doing exactly what you told them not to do. So what do they do? They go and arrest them again. <laughs> Says so the captain went with the officers and brought them, but not with force this time. Why? Because there's thousands and thousands of people. They're in the holy, they're in the temple area, they're teaching again, they're telling them about Yeshua, that he's raised from the dead, and all this stuff, and all these miracles that everybody's been seeing happening. It's because Yeshua really is the Messiah. So they go there to arrest them, but now they're like. They ask them. It says they bring them in, but not by force. So meaning they didn't grab them and drag them. They're like, can you come with us? Can we go up to the office to talk? What happens? They go. They don't say, no, I'm not going. I got rights. You're too scared to arrest me. I'm just going to stay here and keep preaching. They just go because I believe the Holy Spirit led them. Just go with them. This is going to be good. It's going to be powerful. It says for fear of the people, lest they should be stoned. That's where you need to see the officers are now afraid because of the number of people and what's been going on. If we try to drag them in by force, this crowd is going to stone us. Yet they still can't see that what they're doing is wrong. That's what sin will do to you. Having a heart so bent against God and what God is doing, you can be afraid for your life for doing the wrong thing and still do it. They're afraid they're going to get stoned. Verse 27, so having brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them, Okay, didn't we tell you not to do this? (laughs) It's pretty much what he asked. Did we not strictly command you to not teach in this name? And then look at this. And look, you have filled Jerusalem, Jerusalem, with your teaching. This is where you need to see this is now not a small local issue. They understand the whole city now knows what you've been teaching. And you intend to bring the blood of this man upon us. Because the gospel message, and they're about to share it again. They're like, we told you not to do this. Now you filled the whole city with this teaching, and you're trying to blame us for his murder. So then Peter and the other apostles that are there answer. So this isn't just Peter, but it's all of them saying this. This is in response to what they said the last time they were arrested. We have to obey God rather than men. It is high time we found some believers and that we as believers started acting like this and said, I have to obey God rather than men. 
And you need to understand the men he's talking to are religious men. That's a little challenging. They're saying we have to follow God rather than obey men. Even you. And the God we're following is the God you claim to be leading or following or being led by. But we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. I believe there really is an uprising of that happening. But you really have to swim upstream. <clears throat> now look at verse 30. Verse 30 through uh, 32, basically. Right here, Peter seizes the moment to preach the gospel. Real brief, real concise, straight to the point. Maybe he knew he didn't have much time. I got to get this in and say it real quick. I just think he was led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Yeshua whom you laid hands on, hanging him on the tree or on the cross or in this version, the timber. A lot of people want to argue, was it a stake? Was it, it, was a, it was wood. Get over it, okay? He died on a cross. It was a piece of wood. Just get over it. Uh, him, Jesus, a prince and savior. God, Elohim, has exalted to his right hand and to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his, witness, we are his witnesses to these matters. And so also is the Holy Spirit, the set-apart spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. <clears throat> so what, he, what they're saying is, listen, this Yeshua whom you crucified is the Messiah. God raised him up, and God is verifying this by giving the Holy Spirit to all those who are obeying him. He's saying everything you're seeing is testifying to the fact that Yeshua really is the Messiah. I mean, boom, 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 boom. In verse 33, it says, and, and those hearing were cut to the heart. You'd almost think that was repentance. No, it's just the opposite. It ticked them off so bad, it said they were cut to the heart and took counsel together to kill them. Once again, you see over and over and over again how when you're so bent against following what God says and what God is doing, even in your religion, you can't see the truth staring you in the face. And they have it in their minds, they're going to kill them. They're not going to kill them for blasphemy or breaking God's law. They're just going to, we're going to find a way to kill them. We're going to do it. <clears throat> so then this is what happens. A certain man in their council, he stands up. He was a Pharisee and he's named Gamaliel. He was a teacher of the Torah. He was respected by all the people. <laughs> Evidently, this guy, uh, Gamaliel, was real important. And he had enough authority because of his age and um, he was such a great teacher in the law. Uh, he literally orders them to put the apostles out for what he gets everybody's attention. He's just a member of the council, but everybody, he was a highly, highly respected rabbi. Some of the laws in uh, biblical interpretation go all the way back to Gamaliel and Hillel uh, that you hear me talk about all the time, context, 
and reading the scriptures, uh, let the scriptures interpret themselves. These are laws that these men laid down long before even the time of Yeshua uh, when you go back to Hillel. And now you got Gamaliel. <clears throat> and he steps up and he goes, okay, everybody calm down. Send the apostles out. I need to talk. And they do it. And he says to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves of what you intend to do to these men. He's warning them. Y'all need to be very careful about what you plan on doing. Listen to me here. Verse 36, before these days, Todah rose up, claiming to be somebody, claimed to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, they, they joined him. He was killed and all who obeyed him, they, they disappeared and it came to nothing. After him, Yehuda of Galilee, of Galil, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished. And all who obeyed him, they were, they were scattered. And now I say to you, now here's his warning, stay away from these men and leave them alone because if this plan or this work is of men, it'll be overthrown. But if it is of God, you are unable, you're not going to be able to overthrow it. And you'll even find yourselves fighting against God. So if, if this is really of God and you're fighting it, you're going to find yourself fighting against God himself. You need to leave these men alone. Let it go. Well, they heeded his advice. And then they bring in the apostles and they beat the tar out of them. Did they really heed his advice? No. They didn't kill them, but they beat them. You need to understand something. They didn't just slap them once or twice. They beat them. And they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Yeshua, and then they let them go. Then indeed, they went rejoicing from the presence of the council. So you need to see here, they went rejoicing from the presence of the council. What's that saying? It's saying that as they were leaving, they beat them and they're going, hallelujah, praise Yeshua. This is really cool. Can you imagine the frustration on the high priest and all those other men that are in there? Can you imagine the frustration on Gamaliel? He just told them, look, if this is really of God, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. And you need to understand, we need to understand something else. They had never, ever seen anything like what had been happening. This was off the charts, unprecedented. You might see one or two healed and all this other kind. We're talking thousands. We're talking about the whole town. We're talking about the surrounding towns. There's this growing mass. It's it's like a tidal wave that's just unrolling faster and faster and faster and people coming into the faith. Matter of fact, we even find that there are Pharisees and Sadducees and leaders in this same council that start to believe Yeshua really is the Messiah. This was really spreading. And Gamaliel is watching this and saying, you need to leave them alone. This, you know, if you fight them and you mess with them, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. And then they come right in. And they, okay, we're not going to kill you. Beat the tar out of them. Wow, that's genius, genius. And so then after that happens, Peter and John, they're like, hallelujah. <laughs> you can imagine the frustration because they're like, we can't even make them sad. We can't even make them unhappy that we beat them up. What? 
That's not normal? Exactly, because God is not. It says, and because they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And then look at this. And daily, in the, they keep on going back to the temple area. Daily in the set-apart place and in every house, they did not cease teaching and bringing the good news, Yeshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. They didn't pause for one second. Literally from the time they were beat, as they're turning to walk out the door, they're praising God that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Yeshua. And day by day by day, they go right back. And it says they were doing it not only there, they were going house to house telling people Yeshua really is the Messiah. Wow. What we see here are these three groups, right? You got religious people that just kind of want to get on the bandwagon. God deals with that. You got religious people that are actually fighting against God. Then you got people that love God, love Yeshua, know that he's really the Messiah. And watch this. And they now know that the praise of men means nothing. They now know that food on my table means nothing. They now know that the clothes on my back, that means nothing. They now know you can beat me, you can scar me, you can break my bones, you can take away my job, you can take away my Instagram likes, you can take away my Facebook posts, you can take away all this stuff. It doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters, and that is that Yeshua really is the son of the living God. He died and rose again. He really is the Messiah, and he's providing salvation for those that truly want to follow him. Those that want religion, those that even want Christian religion so that they can be better. are probably going to be the crowd that Jesus says, depart from me, I don't know you. Those are Christians that he's going to say that to. Y'all realize that. And it's going to be a large number because he said, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we did great and mighty things in your name. So they know who he is and they're very active in the church. And he says, depart from me, those of you who worked iniquity because I never knew you. So those are people that are very, very religious, very, very religious about Jesus, very, very faithful not going to get in. He's looking for those that truly want to surrender their lives over to him and live like it constantly and be willing to share the gospel at all costs. When he finds people like that, this is what we see happening. They were going house to house sharing the truth. The reason our country's in the state it's in today is because the church stopped being the true church of the living God a long, long, long time ago. It became a business. It became a system. It became a way to get people in your doors. It became a way to be big in your community. Folks, there's, there was a time, it's not, as that, it's not so much that way now, 
When I went to Cris, I went to Criswell College to get my degree. This was in the 80s. You know what they told us when we first showed up? We first showed up, they said, here's what you need to understand coming here. If you agree to come to this school and get your degree from this school, there are a lot of churches that will not look at your resume. They even told us there's a lot of First Baptist churches that will not look at your resume. You're not going. You just need to understand that coming here. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It's, it, it is, there, there is a system, and people, you get sucked into it. Most, and I say this because we're Baptists, most first Baptist churches will not look at anybody that doesn't have a doctor degree. Won't even look at them. I want to be a place, I want us to be a place where we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where we love the gospel message and we're willing to share that. And we're not going to be judgmental about people, whether they have a degree or they don't have a degree. We're not going to be judgmental about people, whether they're homosexual or not. But we're going to tell every single one of them the truth. Here's what's amazing about this story that we happen to look over. And I kind of want to close with this. Because it's what the apostles were doing. They didn't care if you were the most powerful man in town. Or if you were a leper beggar, you got the same treatment. The treatment was, we love you in the name of God. We love you in the name of Yeshua, our Savior. And here's the truth. He can set you free from whatever bondage you're in, whether it's the spirit of religion, whether it's the spirit of some kind of sexual sin, whether it's the spirit of pride, jealousy, anger, hostility, murder, unfaithfulness, whatever addiction, whatever problem you've got, we've all got them, amen? God can set you free from that and deliver you and bring you into his kingdom and empower you to be somebody just like one of the apostles. To work in his kingdom and poke the devil in the eye. Folks, that's how we're supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to be as a church. Folks, this is why, when, and by the way, Angel had her baby, hallelujah. I don't know if y'all heard about that. Uh, little girl, right? Little girl, everybody's you know, fine. Praise the Lord for that. You know, reach out to them, tell them congratulations. But this is also why when families come and they have little kids, I don't care if it upsets you or not. I'm, I tell them all the time, that baby is welcome in here if necessary because that's the sound of life and I don't care. They're usually more worried about it, you know, uh, distracting somebody. And some of us get real distracted and we're like, oh, I can't concentrate because it distracts me. Well, that's your problem, isn't it? Because you're more worried about you. Uh-oh. But did you know, I've heard stories and I've seen it where pastors would go, can you please go tell that mom to take her child out? Oh, yeah. Man that used to go here with a disabled child. 
and told me stories of pastors telling them, don't think that's going to work here. The list goes on and on and on. The church stopped being the church a long time ago, and I want to be a place that loves people and will tell everybody the truth of what the gospel says and at the same time not be evil, mean, and nasty about it. This is why I don't wear a suit anymore, and yes, I've got on, they call them chucks. I grew up calling them converse. What you see is what you get. We need to be real people, honestly in love with Jesus, telling people the truth, and telling them all the truth. Everything that's written in this book, I hold up an iPad, everything that's written in this book, the Bible, from cover to cover, because that's the only way it makes any sense. And see people set free. But when we do that, there will be a lot of people with the spirit of religion on them that love their religion more than they love their God, even though they don't understand it. And they're going to say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's, that's heresy. I'm like, okay, I'm still preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died on Wednesday, rose on Sunday. We can prove it from the Gospels. He has been buried for three days, three nights, rose again and ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back to get us. All of that is true. All this other junk you've been hearing isn't. But when you understand the full gospel message, it all finally makes sense. Then you become empowered in God's kingdom. That's what I want to see people set free from from what they can do and all that other stuff. But when we share all that, there's going to be some people that won't accept it. You know what we need to do? And this is hard for me. This is not easy. When people that claim to be believers throw me or throw us under the bus, and I was sharing that with my brother just yesterday. I said, I'm sorry, and I, said, I know all the answers. I'm just being transparent that when you've got people that claim to be following Jesus, claim to be reading the same Bible, and then want to call you a heretic and that you've turned your back on your faith and you've turned the light out in Roy City and the list goes on and you get attacked personally, I'm just, it's hard. It's not easy. There are times when I'm not praising God like John and Peter were. There are times when I'm like, God, really? But then I have to go and pray and say, I'm just going to keep doing what you say, God, because I believe your word and I want us to be a people that want to share the truth with everybody around us. Folks, there are people right now in our community that are lost. They're in bondage. And watch this, and they don't know it. They don't realize, they're trying to get out and don't know how. So they keep chasing whatever, whether it's drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever kind of weird addiction. For some people, their addiction is work and conquering everything out there that's walking on two feet and four feet. And that's their addiction. Their addiction is money and fame and whatever. It doesn't matter whether people have a lot of money or no money. We need to love every single one of them and share the truth with them. And find more and more ways to do that. And open up our homes to do that with them. Amen? That's what God's called us to do. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know everybody's story, but I'm telling you, whatever it is, God is the answer. Here's the surprising part. You're not the answer. (laughs) You're not the answer. And guess what? And you don't have to figure it out. And this is important for me. I'm preaching to Paul. You don't have to come up with a plan to figure it out. We just have to pray, surrender our lives over to our Savior, and keep going. Amen? God can set you free from whatever that is. He loves you.